Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this is our companion episode for Reality Bites, episode 15 of season 5 of Supergirl. And the focus of this episode will be the unconscious. But there are a few meanings to the word unconscious. Yeah, so there's the most obvious one, which is literal, in the sense that you are not conscious, as in not experiencing thought, sensation, or feeling. And then related to that, but on the other end of the spectrum, we have altered states of consciousness, such as dreams or virtual reality, like we see in this episode. And those two, in turn, can then actually tap into the unconscious, the psychological concept. But before we explain that concept a little bit more, we have unconscious as in being unaware or not conscious of something. And there's two ways that you might be unconscious of something. You tend to see it in the term like unconscious bias. So it might be something that you don't know or don't perceive, or it might be a behavior or a thought that works in a certain way, even if you're not intentionally guiding it in that direction. Yes. And then we have the fun version of unconscious, which is the unconscious. And it comes from the psychoanalytic school of psychology made famous by Sigmund Freud, originator of every your mom joke in existence. (laughs) Freud, for his understanding of the unconscious, compared it to an iceberg so that the conscious mind is above the water, what you can perceive, essentially. And then below the water, you have the preconscious, which may also be referred to as the subconscious, sub meaning below, to tie into this analogy. And those are like thoughts or memories that we can recall if we think about it. And then below that, even further down on this iceberg, we have the unconscious, which is the area that we do not access. Yeah. So Freud is famous for a lot of things, but his biggest contribution as far as understanding the mind and the self in this way is this idea that Our unconscious is the primary driving force behind our behavior, even though we don't know what it is. Hmm. So you do see this reflected in the episode 515 in the way that Obsidian's platinum lenses work and how they tap into parts of your brain that maybe you're not even consciously aware of. Hmm. But for our purposes in discussing the events of Reality Bites, let's take a look at Carl Jung's understanding of the conscious and unconscious. It's important to know when you look at Carl Jung that he is a successor to Sigmund Freud. And we're going to, again, look at the context of kind of mentor-mentees a little bit in this episode of Supergirl. And so part of Jung's goal in his work was to distinguish himself and the body of his academic work from Freud, particularly on the points where they disagreed. And one of those was on their understanding of the unconscious, how it worked, and kind of the purpose that it served in some ways. Yes. So Jung, contrastingly, doesn't differentiate between preconscious and unconscious. So basically everything below the water is the concept of the unconscious. And the unconscious itself is sort of closer to the surface. And this understanding ties into his belief that we as people should seek to know our unconscious better. What lies in the unconscious should become conscious so that we can then become whole. Jung said, one should never think that man can reach perfection. You can only aim at completion, Hmm. not to be perfect, 
but to be complete, which is definitely related to a lot of the themes that we've been talking about this season and ties into some of the issues that a couple of the main characters have. Yes, and some of them in this episode who are still struggling with that very issue. Yes. One thing that Young does do in terms of developing his understanding of the unconscious is he differentiates between this idea of a personal unconscious and a collective unconscious. And so the personal is very similar to Freud's concept in the sense it's those things that we know about but are kind of holding in the storage of our brains, our boxes, if you will. Hmm. And also repressed memories. And then he also brings to the table this idea of the collective unconscious, which is the idea that there is this body of unconscious awareness that we share with our community and our ancestors, like we've inherited it almost in some ways, and offers sources of universal meaning to us as a society, which is kind of how the big brain for the brainiacs seems to function Mm. in that brainy actually is relying upon the memories that have been given to him by his ancestors and those who have died. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. It also may be relevant to the way that Nia's dreams function and how Mm. linked they are to her ancestry. Yeah. Which I guess takes us to the concept of dreams for Carl Jung and how he perceived them. Yes. It's very fitting that we're covering the psychoanalytic perspective of psychology because that is where a lot of our kind of pop knowledge of dream interpretation came from. Mm. And this episode was so focused on Nia and her frustration with not knowing how to interpret her dreams when her sister literally studied like this specific content. <laughs> yeah. And for Young, kind of related to some things that we'll talk about with Nia and the dream that she has in this episode, dreams are the unconscious communicating with the conscious, as if the thoughts and memories wish to become whole with the conscious. And then another concept that is relevant to the unconscious and the conscious, which also comes from Young, is the persona. And Young says of the persona that it is a complicated system of relations between individual consciousness and society, fittingly enough, a kind of mask, designed on the one hand to make a definite impression upon others, and on the other, to conceal the true nature of the individual. And that concept of a mask is certainly fitting for a show like Supergirl. For instance, with Nia and her literal mask as Dreamer, and then sort of the more metaphorical masks that the various characters put on. And in terms of this analogy of the iceberg and the conscious and the unconscious mind, the persona is like the pearly sheen on the surface of the iceberg. From the outside, you can perceive the tip of an iceberg, but you still don't see inside of that tip. And this surface prevents others from looking in or being conscious, in the other sense of the word, of the various layers of the iceberg of the mind, your unconscious and your conscious self. Unless you're Jean, (laughs) and then you can just phase through, just like you can read people's minds. So it's very fitting that we're going to lead off with Nia after we've had this whole conversation about the unconscious versus the conscious self and the way dream interpretation plays into that, because that is a whole big part of the way Nia is supposed to be able to wield her powers as a superhero. That it's a part she's really struggling with, particularly in this episode, and it has a lot of consequences for her and for the people around her. Yes. And in terms of the unconscious, Nia is also struggling with unconscious emotions that are affecting her behavior, which brings to mind the concept that we heard in season one of 
the anger behind the anger. Speaking of mentors, Cat Grant. And this appears with like several layers. The first one we see sort of peeled back is her anger that a friend was hurt, which is masking in a way, at least initially, the anger that she feels regarding widespread injustice and ignorance. She says to Kara that this, meaning violence against trans people, happens more than you could possibly know. And there's anger behind the fact that people don't know. Mm-hmm. And that is interesting because at the beginning of the episode, we saw a very different look for Nia. She had this persona through which she was fairly happy seeming as dreamer. She came off looking awesome in the fight with the dominator and seemed fairly chipper within her conversation with Kara right afterwards. And then we see this persona of dreamer perceived in other contexts by other characters. For instance, with Brainy, when he watches the video of her taking the dominator down. And then Yvette, Nia's roommate, talks about how awesome dreamer is, like says that she's probably more powerful than Supergirl. But then we see Nia Nall, who is more accurately reflecting Nia's internal feelings Hmm. through eating sad ice cream. (laughs) That was a very Kara move. Yes. (laughs) And Nia says with regard to Dreamer, I don't know, I think that she has her problems just like everyone else. And then we also see Nia sort of employ a persona in another context. When Nia calls a police officer to check in to see how far along he is with finding the man who attacks Yvette. And when she decides that they're not far enough along, she makes the decision to go after him herself and puts a sort of mask on. A metaphorical mask. Yes. She smiles and says, I appreciate that. And then switches to a more Oliver Queen face that is truer <laughs> to how she feels in the moment. Vigilante Justice. <laughs> yes. So Nia is clearly feeling a lot right now, but isn't telling anyone about it. And she ends up sort of projecting those unacceptable, unconscious feelings that she has onto others. We see this when Nia is rightfully angry that people outside of her community, the trans community, are ignorant of the violence that occurs against trans people all of the time. But the emotional impetus for the situation is the guilt that she feels personally for ignorance of a different sort, mm. for not knowing enough to stop Yvette from being hurt, and then further, not having known how to interpret her dreams to stop her mother from dying. To kind of go back to that anger behind the anger revelation, very similar to the one that Kara actually had about her unresolved anger related to her mother and the loss of her family. Hmm. And this guilt that Nia feels extends to her use of her powers generally. She feels guilty for not having control over them and an understanding of how they work so that she can see the future clearly and prevent other things from happening as the hero dreamer. Hmm. And you made a very nice observation about some of the things that were present visually in her dreams that she missed. Yes. I thought it was kind of ironic because she's so wrapped up in that feeling of guilt and the anger that she feels on top of that, that she doesn't remember or notice, I guess, that the dreams featured her hands with the dreamer costume on covered in blood. Mm. Which goes back to that idea that Jung believed that dreams communicate one's unconscious feelings. Well, and it's also interesting if you consider that as a potential expression of like a collective unconscious type of thing. Hmm. And that her powers and through that her loved ones who also had those powers are trying to kind of warn her 
about something personal that could be detrimental to herself and her identity as both a trans woman and a superhero. Yeah. And so Nia here is externalizing her feelings, which is something that occurs when one doesn't properly process repressed feelings. This is something that we see Lena struggle with sometimes, particularly in relation to Kara and the guilt that Lena personally felt about killing her brother. But for Nia, the way that she processes her feelings are through her attempts to control these external situations. She says, at least this was something I could control in relation to going after the man who attacked Yvette. Speaking of this idea of control, we'll come back to that. (laughs) Yes, we will. And it's worthwhile to compare Nia's reaction to her own feelings here to Kara's reaction to her own feelings in this episode, and then also the conclusions that she has come to very recently about guilt with regard to Lena. In that case, Kara has recognized what she believes to be her failings, but has decided to move forward. And in this episode, with relation to Nia, Kara recognized her ignorance with regard to the difficulty that the trans community faces, and she accepted that, but she is now moving forward and vowing to be proactive about it, to do something about it in a healthy way, whereas Nia is more dwelling on her guilt and not processing it and is finding difficulty moving forward. And this idea of like processing your unconscious or repressed feelings relates to that concept that Jung created of like the wholeness of the self, understanding the unconscious and the conscious as opposed to seeking perfection. And in relation to that idea of like perfection not being the thing that we should strive for, but instead wholeness, we see Nia eventually say, I don't want to be a killer and recognize that that's not something that she wants for herself, despite her internal feelings. Mm. But then she says, but Kara, I am not okay. Which was a very nice callback to last week. Yes. Last week, we actually brought up this quote from the character Steve when he told the sort of prison bully turned good guy that he, in fact, was not okay. But then Lena ultimately, at the end of the episode, took away Steve's ability to feel not okay about specifically injustice. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that she targeted in the pursuit of perfection. Yeah, which is then really interesting when you contrast Lena's way of resolving that with the conversation between Kara and Nia and how they ultimately resolved it. Yes. It kind of reminds me of when Kara at the beginning of her mentorship with Nia in season four said with regard to fear to recognize that she has it, to feel it, and then to move past it, which is a way of coping with feelings that are difficult to grapple with. So that's how Nia struggled with her unconscious feelings in this episode. But now I'd like to talk about some of the ideas we saw in relation to the trans experience and the idea of the persona. So the villain of the week, the transphobic Catfisher, wanted Dreamer to no longer be a public persona. And ultimately, he wanted trans people to suppress the will of the whole self and to essentially no longer be true to themselves. And he also wanted to suppress society's consciousness, in the other sense of the word, of the trans community through erasing that Dreamer persona. He said, I don't think you're the right kind of role model. But in these efforts, he himself puts on a persona via social media and then also in person with Yvette, masking his intent in a more malicious way than we see with, for instance, some of the superhero personas. And Nia, during the episode, says, they want us to hide and to be afraid of who we are, which is also what he is seeking for himself. 
his fragile ego, as Nia puts it, can't withstand finding a trans woman attractive because his own sense of self, again, like Nia says, is so shaky that anything outside of his narrow worldview threatens it. So basically his self is fragmented as opposed to whole. Mm. But then he accuses those with the trans identity of putting on a false persona when that's really what he's doing. And when they are, in fact, actualizing their whole selves in a more complete way through their persona. But then to explore the experience that trans people have in relation to this episode and persona, because of the historically visceral and violent rejection of the open expression of the trans identity, many trans people fear that they are innately unlovable. And we see this reflected in the episode and how Yvette and Nia both emphasize how important romantic love feels to them. With Yvette, she says she wanted Angus so badly to be real, for someone to care about her, to love her, to adore her. And then Nia talks about how Brainy was the one person who saw her for who she is and looked at her like she was beautiful. And this just highlights how important it is to show romantic relationships featuring trans people in fiction, to sort of offer an argument against the feeling that trans people sometimes experience that they are lovable. And to normalize those relationships. This episode also dealt with how important it is for trans people to have a public persona and to be role models, specifically with Dreamer, which Kara reminds Nia of and emphasizes how important it is for the trans community that Dreamer exists and how important it is to preserve that public persona. And then in turn, when Yvette wants to erase all of her social media accounts, basically destroying her online presence and then in turn persona, Nia reminds her that they want to erase us so we need to shine even brighter. And now let's take a look at Kara in this episode with relation to the unconscious and the persona. We see Kara in this episode taking responsibility for not recognizing the deeper problems at hand in relation to others. Mm. Tying back into that concept of being conscious or aware of something. Interestingly, we actually see Kara start off the episode fairly conscious of Alex's internal sad feelings regarding leaving the DEO, despite Alex's outward appearance or persona, which is actually growth for Kara and something that we know she struggled with improving upon starting in season two. Mm. She at times wasn't aware of Alex's internal struggles because of Alex's strong front that she put forth. Yeah, and that's a really interesting parallel because Kara served as sort of the go-between for the Nia storyline and the Alex storyline. And the way that Kara is really struggling to understand Nia's perspective and, and what's going on under the surface with Nia is similar to how she was kind of flustered and struggling with Alex in season two when Alex came out to her. Mm. We actually see her be not conscious of the issues that the trans community faces generally. Well, I think Kara knows in an abstract sense mm -hmm. that there are problems, but it's very similar to Kara early on in season four when she's like surprised that people are leaving hateful comments on her articles talking about aliens in a nice way mm. or refusing to see the underlying xenophobia that Jean is telling her is already affecting their community as aliens. Mm -hmm. Sometimes because she's so aware of so many things, she doesn't necessarily pick up like the deeper undercurrents of specific things. Mm. She doesn't, in these cases, understand the sort of depth of 
of the problem. Mm. For instance, when she's talking to Nia in this episode, she says, we will find this guy. That's her first form of reassurance. But then Nia responds to her, emphasizing that it goes beyond this individual case. There's a larger problem at hand. But like in these other instances, Kara does get there in the end in the sense that she comes to a deeper understanding of the problem. And she says to Nia, maybe we all should have opened our eyes to the realities that you and your community face every day, but now we have, and now we will all have our eyes open for people like him. So she sort of vows to take this information forward with her and be proactive about it. But in a personal sense, in terms of her conversation with Alex in season two when she came out and her conversations with Nia, in both instances, Kara finds common ground to indicate that she understands, but then makes sure to recognize that they their experiences are unique. So with Alex, she says that she knows that it's not the same at all, but that she does know how it feels to keep a part of herself shut off to keep it inside. And then with Nia, she says with relation to Nia's anger and burden of responsibility that she feels, I felt that kind of pressure before, that anger, but I wasn't looking at things through your eyes and your experiences. And then she apologizes. And then she also makes sure to know that both Alex and Nia know that they're not alone, which is a car go-to for reassuring people. So that's the way that Kara grapples with the issue of not being conscious of these deeper problems. But another concept related to the things we've been talking about in this episode that we see presented in Kara's storyline is the persona, specifically of Kara Danvers. Yes, so at the start of Kara's introduction in this episode, she's stressing because it's been such a long time since she had a date that she's afraid she has forgotten how. Not literally, but in the sense of remembering how to follow the right human social rules Mm. since the last person she seriously dated was an alien from a sister planet of her own and they had a lot of cultural stuff in common that is not normal to humans. Mm -hmm. And this is contrasted with Alex, who has often played the role in Kara's life of being like, okay, so these are the social cues that are happening. And in this instance she like listed dating staples like you smile and you laugh and you reach for the check it's easy i really appreciate that subtle nod to equality and who pays Mm. by the way There's also the really cute kind of funny moment of Kara bracing herself to play pool when she and William go out because she has super strength. And it's one of those places where we know Kara actively adopts this kind of awkward persona because it keeps people at bay and from questioning too much if she does something that seems a little off. And so we see her standing, holding the pool cue, really awkwardly hesitating to play. And then saying, like, well, of course I know how, I just am not good at it. (laughs) Uh, And then, oops. (laughs) But the kind of fun thing in this scene is that she doesn't feel as stressed as she might have in season one or season two about if she goofs up a little bit. Hmm. And we see her integrating a little more of her true self into her presentation of herself on this date. For example, she panics and asks Alex for advice about what to wear, and then she decides to make the decision herself mm-hmm. in the end. And we see her feel comfortable demonstrating her skill at things, 
even if she maybe didn't mean to reveal how good she was at them. Hmm. And there's kind of two interesting things about that moment. Number one, it's in a way weirdly relevant to what Kara says to Nia at the end of the episode about having to hold back in order to Mm -hmm. play the role that you need to play for others. But also the energy that she had in that scene, for some reason, it made me think of the moment in Falling from season one when she's under the red kryptonite. That's a nod to Superman where she's sitting in the bar and she manages to shatter an entire glass bottle just by carelessly flicking one peanut. Yeah. And so knowing that Kara is able to do that and then seeing here how she's so nervous, not that she's going to show up William, but that she might like hit him in the face um, <laughs> or, or break a window yeah. or hurt someone. Death by a pool ball. <laughs> yeah, right. It was just a really neat little moment and a nice reminder of how Kara works so hard all the time to rein that in and maintain that persona of being not threatening and scary to people Mm -hmm. and how that affects her understanding of what it means to be a hero and to take responsibility for who you are and what you do. Yeah, which is ultimately true to her whole self and her unconscious to conscious desires. Mm -hmm. But somebody who is struggling with their unconscious desires and becoming a new whole self (laughs) is Alex in this episode. Yeah, and I enjoy how the Danvers sisters take turns being the one who's having an off time. Uh, (laughs) They're so thoughtful in that way to each other. Uh, (laughs) As we said last week, Alex is going through some things. (laughs) Some things. She's having something of a battle and i will use that term Mm -hmm. because she's seeing herself so much in soldier terms in a way between her conscious thoughts about what she wants or what she doesn't want and her unconscious wants and fears that are holding her back so as we've talked about before, Alex is not always good at relying on her internal feelings as a constant in her life, as something to rely upon and make decisions based on. She prefers to make decisions based on the feelings of others, mm-hmm. which is related actually to Young's theory of personality. But we see with Alex that not having that internal sense of consistency makes external change quite difficult for her. So Alex has worked fairly hard to build up consistent structure in her life, which is something we talked about a lot in our last podcast episode. And she has set about sort of mastering kind of like the rules of what she sets her mind to. So like the different areas of her life, she's as we talked about in this episode, quite aware of the social conventions involved in dating. And we know that she talked about wanting to perfect that aspect of her life before. And she also figured out how to perfect, in a way, her career and had this established structure and trajectory for her life based on her work at the DEO. And now that has fallen away. The rules that she learned and the structure that she understood and relied upon has failed her. And we see her resentment of this demonstrated, I think, in the way that she talks about Lex in this episode. (laughs) She's quite angry, you know, going back to that concept of anger behind the anger. She's angry that he has this goodwill that he never earned and that people are not conscious of Lex's true nature, whereas Alex is sort of lost in her life right now, despite her following all the rules and abiding by that structure that she relied upon. Things are like upside down in comparison to how she thinks they should be. And Lex is sort of a manifestation (laughs) 
of that wrongness. <laughs> yeah, Alex is up there with Kara on the list of characters who don't like change <laughs> and don't embrace it well, <laughs> especially when it's a change that she has a hard time making sense of. But the other thing that's true of Alex is she tends to understand where she's going in life based on where she's already been hmm. and builds off of that. So that's kind of why this current state of not having a clear path forward is freaking her out a little bit, hmm. both on a conscious level and then we see there's a lot of other reasons on an unconscious level that she's a little nervous. And in a lovely manifestation of all of these problems, the wonderful gift that Jean gives her, the hand of the soldier, mm -hmm. the Martian weapon, kind of gives her away on, a, again, a more unconscious or subconscious level in what exactly is going on for her. Yeah, the hand of the soldier, Martian weapon that Jean gives Alex, appears to work on an unconscious level. Jean says that it will code itself to your bioelectric pulses, allowing you to morph it with a single thought. And he says it's instinctual, which is like another way to describe things that happen on an un unconscious level. Meanwhile, Alex is asking if it has like an instruction manual, looking for the rules and the structure mm -hmm. that she would prefer to work with. She wants time to like sit down and study it, which is such a scientist move. <laughs> yes. But unfortunately for Alex, she has to to work to bring her unconscious feelings into consciousness and become sort of a more whole self with relation to the hand of the soldier. And that's difficult for Alex, who is not always at one with her internal feelings. But it also represents the struggle that she has in the rest of her life with having to rely upon her own internal compass in making her life choices. Hmm. I was kind of joking that it felt like Jean was almost giving her the hand of the soldier as some kind of like Martian therapy. Tracks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, because he's been providing her with some semblance of structure and familiarity in that we see them sparring the way they did at the DEO in this episode. He's taking her out to work with him and kind of be the partner in that role that she's comfortable with. But then he gives her this gift that is meant to push her forward further because it needs her to accept that she has all these things that are in there that she needs to deal with. <laughs> but his point is it'll go at her pace in theory because it's all dependent upon how long it takes her to kind of come to grips with it. But as we predicted last week, Alex um, is not doing so great with that. No. <laughs> and we observed initially that when he showed it to her, she's like, well, it's a gun. And so this week she can get it to turn into the gun because the gun to her is something very familiar. It's comfortable. She knows it well. Mm -hmm. And that's already tied to her sense of herself and how she perceives herself. But anytime she tries to venture away from that and turn it into something different, the weapon won't change or work the way it's supposed to because on an unconscious level, Alex just isn't fully committing to the change. She isn't clear about what she's thinking. Mm -hmm. And then she gets frustrated by this fact because she also doesn't like doing things poorly. Um, no. <laughs> it's a vicious, vicious cycle. <laughs> um. And she specifically says, like, how am I supposed to trust this if it keeps changing on me? Which is like kind of the point, Alex. <laughs> 
<laughs> adapt to you. But this is a manifestation of the rest of her life, her unconscious fear that she has with like moving into a new stage of her life. And it's fitting that the thing that she is able to morph the hand of the soldier into is something that she used quite often as a DEO agent. But her struggles to get it to be something different are then contributing to her inability to fully trust that the Hand of the Soldier will be reliable, that it will do what she needs it to when she needs it to. Mm. And since as a piece of Martian technology, it is sensitive to her inner and unconscious thoughts as well as whatever she may be saying on the surface, you get this feedback loop that's really negative. And so she continues to struggle because each struggle just compounds the previous one. Mm. And so you get the hilarious moment of when she goes to demo it to Kara and then it doesn't work. It actively starts zapping her because <laughs> she won't just let it do its thing. Mm. And it's a neat juxtaposition because then she jabs at Kara with it to scare her and Kara scolds her because we have all seen, even in this season, what might happen when Kara gets a little bit startled. Yeah. And Alex trusts that Kara, who is, according to Lex, a super weapon, um, <laughs> will behave the way she expects her to. But she can't trust this thing that's essentially meant to bond with herself. Mm. So that was a very cool little bit of character work in a very small moment in that scene. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting how the Hand of the Soldier's outward appearance keeps changing because it is obviously reminiscent of Jean's power and his ability to shapeshift and change his persona, tying back to that idea. And Alex here needs to see past the fact that the Hand of the Soldier is changing and kind of get to know it like one might a person mm. on a deeper level. Kind of like knowing that when Kara takes off her glasses, she's still Kara. <laughs> Because Alex knows her very well. Yeah, and it's funny because Alex then thinks she solved her problem hmm. with this weapon after she goes into the VR and has success with it there. However, there are some fundamental differences, which Jean explains to her in this almost amused way. He's like, no, you were cheating. Um, <laughs> it was such a parental thing. He's like, no, no, no. <laughs> this wasn't working because it's working the right way. It's working because you like like shortcut <laughs> um you still have to put in the hard mental work mm. alex um but his point is really interesting she's not connecting to the actual weapon which essentially has its own opinions <laughs> like a person mm -hmm. she's using essentially a video game interface she's playing a soldier type character she shows up in her deo gear and her stuff that's on her while she's in the vr world essentially works like when you're playing a video game and you just press the key and it magically swaps the weapon in your hand it was responding to what she wants to happen it wasn't necessarily showing her what she might be able to make happen however the other reason that Alex finds such success in the VR world is that it's a game and games have rules <laughs> and Alex is really great at exploiting rule systems to her advantage when she knows the rules. <laughs> Jean gave her a mission was go in, save that guy. She gets to save multiple people and it gives her this feeling of winning and being successful and being the hero at a point when she really needs that feeling and just has felt stuck with it mm. everywhere else. Especially the moment when she's able to, she thinks, get the hand of the soldier to work so that she can save the two guys who are stuck in the tanks the way she almost drowned in season two. Mm. So even though her success with 
the hand of the soldier is artificial in this VR world. The obsidian lenses are still tapping into parts of Alex's unconscious. We're seeing Mm -hmm. some of the thoughts that maybe she doesn't let come to the surface manifest themselves in situations that are happening throughout the different VR environment. We see some of her anxieties around who she feels like she is or who she can be in her real life. We see her trauma from previous experiences resurface. But like even when she starts, when she goes to that options menu of like, what experience can you pick? We see a lot of different things that Alex wants to be, but either she hasn't fully committed to being them or she can't, like literally wanting to like be Kara. Um, (laughs) Well, not really, but like wanting to be like an actual superhero, you know, and she knows in her conscious mind that's not a good idea because all of season four happened. Um, (laughs) Yes. But those were interesting, the different sort of versions of Alex's life that we saw that are kind of tucked away in her unconscious, which is interesting to see to begin with because she's at a point in her life where she's wondering like what direction to go. But we see her holding a baby. We see her as a doctor. So that path that she didn't take. Then we see Alex's Supergirl, her version of it, obviously with her aesthetic. (laughs) And then we also see something that looks like, I don't know, like a hipster Alex. (laughs) But these different versions of Alex, I think, speak to both conscious desires that Alex has or has had, like adopting and previously being a doctor, and then maybe unconscious desires, such as being Supergirl and maybe being a hipster. I'm not sure where that lies on the spectrum. Mm. And then speaking of the way that the VR tech was tapping into unconscious emotions, when Kelly explains to Alex about the concept of the escape room, Alex's mind immediately, without even her realizing it until she walks in, goes right to like the literal escape room, essentially, uh, that she <laughs> that was is in. true. It was very like... <laughs> it was like the cross between that and like something out of Saw. It was horrible. Mm. So you see this manifestation of Alex's unconscious really tap into a trauma that we haven't ever heard her talk about out loud. Mm. Kind of like there are certain things we've never heard Kara talk about out loud until a little piece of it will slip out. Mm. So I am glad all of my questions about whether or not the amount of times Alex's brain has been messed with are going somewhere. <laughs> um. <laughs> yes. But that was interesting. Alex sort of walking into a representation of her unconscious in terms of Young's philosophy and mm. how he valued the idea of like confronting your unconscious memories and feelings and repressed trauma without necessarily being entirely inside of it and sort of from an outside perspective and looking at it without necessarily being in it emotionally in order to integrate it into your consciousness and become a whole person. Mm. So that was cool. Kind of like James in season four when he saw himself being put into a coffin by bullies. Mm. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing there that was kind of neat was like Kelly had to go in to help James in that. And Alex was the one who gave her the moral support Mm. to do it. And then here that situation was reversed. And so Kelly Mm. was on the other end of the line when Alex was going into a lot of those situations. So that was very cool. Yeah. The other thing, though, that was kind of funny is Alex is feeling all of this success and she's able to to get the hand of the soldier to turn into all these different things while she's in the VR. But it reminds me of what Wynn's dad said to him back in Back from the Future about the limit being your creativity and your sense of what is possible. Mm. Every single thing that Alex turns it into is like the most literal thing that you 
want. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, a literal key. Yeah, the key. When she goes to break the glass, she has like a policeman's stick. I'm like, really? <laughs> Banshee scream would have been cooler. Like, uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. But especially as someone whose background is like military and then medicine, I feel like she would be very tied to those concrete things. Yeah. And it also seems like the ability to feel like she was winning and in control of things, which Nia was also struggling with hmm. while she was in that VR world and she was able to get that satisfaction of helping people might have been a nice feeling. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's something she uh, wants to do again. <laughs> I have a, a sneaking suspicion based on the preview for next week that Alex's persona of herself as the fighter, the protector, the hero is uh, going to be leaned into real hard. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting theory. And so another character who has been dealing with a persona in this episode was Brainy. He had this persona of being like detached from his relationships, particularly with Nia or in relation to Nia. He sets these thick boundaries between himself and the other characters and mentions when Kara calls that he's very busy when he is, in fact, just <laughs> watching a video of Nia as Dreamer defeating the Dominators. That is important work. <laughs> Fair. And then when Kara breaks the news that Nia's roommate was attacked, he says, that's awful, and then walks it back and says, I mean, it is only logical that violence begets concern, trying to make him seem as unaffected as possible. But we know that beyond the persona, Brainy feels very impacted by the events of the episode with relation to Nia, and we see him go the extra mile to help. For instance, with regard to the DEO and using those resources to find someone who is not an alien. Mm. And Kara was aware of it, of the possibility that it might be an obstacle when she called, but Brainy didn't hesitate. And then he ends up bringing a ton of information to the police about online hate groups that are targeting trans people. And Kara also, in her sort of journey of recognizing the inner feelings behind the persona of people, recognizes how Brainy feels and says to Nia that she even has Brainy in his heart of hearts. Aww. <laughs> Deep down. Mm -hmm. And another supporting character in this episode, literally, <laughs> was Kelly. She struggled in this episode with the concept of not being conscious as in not being aware. Hmm. And at first she is fooled by the woman who works for Leviathan, her persona that she puts on at Obsidian. And we know that generally Kelly has been fairly focused on the good that Obsidian is doing and excited about it. But in this episode, she learns about the ramifications of Obsidian's blind spots. Hmm. On a personal level, she addresses the infidelity <laughs> that occurs with Alex. But in terms of Obsidian's responsibilities, people were being tortured through their technology. Mm -hmm. And Kelly eventually says to Alex, I need to have a conversation with Andrea about unintended uses of Obsidian Platinum. And she feels guilty in the same way that Nia did for not being aware. And she feels angry. And something she says is interesting in this episode in terms of Kelly becoming more aware of the concerning aspects of Obsidian. She says, I do truly believe that what we're, and then she stops herself, what I'm doing at Obsidian North can help people. So she clearly is suspicious of the people that she works with and for because she did report the glitch that allowed people to be tortured and they didn't do anything about it. And then... We have what I will call the big unconscious, <laughs> which is the way that 
the structure and the different visual and storytelling cues in this episode drew together connections between the two major plot lines that were happening that maybe weren't immediately visible on the surface. Mm -hmm. So the episode was built in a way that meant to connect these two stories of Nia and Alex together. And one of the things that happened to do that was they had similar emotional cores in that both Alex and Nia are dealing with these struggles about wanting to regain control over something that they feel has been taken away from them Mm -hmm. by malicious external forces. And you have Kara then serving as the bridge that connects these two stories because she is connected to both Nia and Alex. She has always looked up to Alex as a sort of mentor figure, protector figure, whereas in Nia's life, Kara is that mentor. And so you see those roles kind of shift back and forth throughout the episode in a way that feels very natural. And you also see Kara creating a kind of safe space for each of these other two characters Mm. to share their emotions with her when they're being challenged by moments of uncertainty throughout the episode. So there was that. The other thing that was really nice was that this episode reminded us very subtly of Kara's ongoing struggle about being true in her identity as Kara and the dangers that that can present because we see the reminder of Alex's near-death experience when she was kidnapped for being Kara's sister Hmm. and that the person who did it was using Alex to get to Kara. And that mirrored the experience that Nia is now going through in this episode for very similar reasons. Her roommate is targeted because she was such an open admirer of dreamers, and that was a threat. As we kind of said already, we see Kara in a kind of similar emotional place in terms of not fully grasping the depth of Nia's emotion in a way that she struggled at first to connect with Alex in season two when it came to issues of identity. And then to kind of come back to the idea of both Nia and Alex spending a large portion of their time struggling to feel in control, you have this clear message in this episode that the world needs queer heroes. And both Nia and Alex take the lead in their story. They each ultimately score a victory, and specifically with the help and support of other queer women who are part of their stories. Mm -hmm. And you see Jean and Kara as minorities because they are aliens, but who recognize that this isn't their fight in a way, playing supporting roles, but really taking a step back and letting both Nia and Alex have the spotlight. The other part that I really loved that reinforced this message was Brainy at the end, specifically referring to the fact that the DEO cares about its sister superheroes. Yeah. Number one, because we saw through the Kara and Nia dynamic in this episode that Nia is clearly part of the family. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And also because of how very subtly it hammered home the point that trans women are women. Mm -hmm. The end. Yeah. They've had a lot of nice subtle moments with regard to emphasizing the fact that trans women are women in the show based on like language choices and other such things. Yeah. And then the other way that these two stories complemented each other really nicely was you had both Nia and Alex tackling issues of relationships, both romantic and familial. Mm. And so you saw with Nia, she's really having a hard time coping with this disconnect from Brainy. Everything is strained and she's struggling. But Alex and Kelly, we see really working as a team on the same page with each other, at least for now. (laughs) Eerie. (laughs) Trust low. Uh, (laughs) 
Look, remember from the beginning of the season, we were warned that Leviathan is everywhere. We're going to see how far <laughs> Kelly's attempts oh to be a whistleblower go. Mm. And uh, the other thing that was a kind of common thread in both Nia and Alex's stories was the impact of your lost parents. Mm. It started off very early on, Nia talking about how it felt to be really adrift without her mom there and to receive the guidance from her. And then we close the episode with a bookend of that with Alex finding out that Jeremiah is dead and mentioning that she's just talked to her mom. And we know Kara's got all kinds of parental loss issues as kind of that go between. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of layers of loss. Layers. Yes. The onion has many layers. <laughs> yeah, no. So in terms of things that maybe people weren't consciously aware of as the episode was happening, you did have all of these pieces that have built on what we know about these characters and these character dynamics from years of seeing them that are coming into play and impacting not only how they behave, but how we understand how they're behaving and why. So that was very cool. Yeah, it was. And now to close out the episode, we have some final thoughts on reality bites not related to the topic of the unconscious. Yes. The past couple of episodes have had this really nice feel of how the episodes were structured at this same point in season one, where for budget reasons, <laughs> they were really paring down the expensive storytelling features and focusing more on core character stuff. Mm. And there's been a lot more character work in the last couple episodes. So like, yay. <laughs> yeah, that's really great. <laughs> These first couple episodes have had a bit of a season one-ish feel in terms of structure. And they also had a female cover artist sing a song in this episode. Speaking of season one traditions, the song was Everybody Hurts, covered by Jasmine Thompson which I thought was a nice song use, not just because it's very sad. Your favorite emotion. <laughs> That's true. But I thought the lyric of don't let yourself go was relevant to Nia in this episode mm. and how she was close to sort of betraying the dreamer identity in a sense and giving into the feelings of anger as opposed to the values that she would prefer as we see with her reaction to the fact that she almost killed someone, mm. these values are more true to who she is. Now that you brought up that line, it reminds me of something about how that scene at the end at Katko with Nia and Kara, where she says about how she almost killed someone and then she's crying and Kara's consoling her and wiping her tears away, reminded me so, so much of the end of falling when Kara kind of comes back to herself and the first thing that she asks Alex is, did I kill anyone? Mm -hmm. And Alex is right there, very similarly wiping the tears off her face and reassuring her that, no, it's okay. And she's okay. Yeah. Nice. I like it. It's also, in terms of the lyric, don't let yourself go, a nice bit of foreshadowing at the end of the episode there for mm -hmm. Alex's struggle next week and her choice to become another person, essentially, in virtual reality. And the other characters seem to be trying to bring her back out of that to become herself again. Yes. So on that note about the relationships between Kara and Nia and Kara and Alex. And the fact that they had a female cover artist. Yeah. And also that we had all the supporting lead characters be female in this episode. That was really awesome because it's been a little bit leaning the other way for a while, especially with some of the really Luther heavy plots. Mm -hmm. But the other neat thing in this episode was that all of the men who were in supportive roles helping the female characters were men of color, like 
that was a very deliberate choice. Mm. And it was really cool. So you saw Jean, Brainy, William, and then also the police officer who's helping to investigate and who Brainy goes to at the end of the episode to pass on the information. Whereas all of the other more sinister characters in the episode were very intentionally white. Mm. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. It's a nice touch. Yeah. So as an aside, I know this won't happen because the rights are too expensive, but I sincerely hope that there's some Taylor Swift in the background in this next episode because I've had Wonderland stuck in my head for like the last three weeks. She has. We're going to dive into her unconscious to get rid of it. It's such a good song. Okay. <laughs> next week is the Alex in Wonderland episode, episode 16. So we will be back next week to discuss it. If you have any questions about this episode or next week's or in general, you can send them to us at Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at Supergirls Attic. And thanks for listening.